normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we haven't done this in a while, Caught in the Crosslights, our PR nightmare of the week, centered on conservative talk show host Rush Limbaugh and his former business partner, Dave Chackets. Two of them thought they were going to buy the St. Louis Rams. May not turn out that way. We'll give you all the details if you haven't heard them. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, SportsSense, Rick Buecher, he's ESPN's NBA insider, the NBA season is quickly coming up, and we will preview some of the biggest storylines coming up around the NBA season, specifically business storylines around the NBA. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend or follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages from the blog page. My Twitter handle is at SB Radio. We're up over 1,100 followers now. Thank you to all of you who are following us. Joined in studio by Nathan Roach and our producer, Bobby Corser. Guys, some good headlines coming up, but Major League Baseball, TBS, and Fox have to be pleased with the final four matchup. In Major League Baseball, in the National League, you've got the Phillies and the Dodgers, the repeat of last year. And then in the American League, you've got the Yankees and the Angels. Big markets, iconic teams, recognizable players. It's usually a good recipe for TV ratings. Yeah, the only thing you could really wish for here is the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, and, you know, the Dodgers or someone else. Dude, your Cubs aren't going to be in for a while, so get over it. I understand that, but all I'm saying is... I'm agreeing with you for the first time ever, but, uh, you know, you have big market teams, but you're still missing some of the iconic teams like the Red Sox, like the Cubs, which I think would put it over the threshold. No matter how this works out, other than possibly an Angels-Phillies matchup, I think Major League Baseball would be thrilled. Fox is going to be doing cartwheels if it's an L.A.-New York, specifically a Dodgers-Yankees matchup. So many storylines there, including... Joe Torre, the manager of the Dodgers, going against his former team. Speaking of the Dodgers, ugliness taking place in the ownership ranks of the Dodgers. We'll tell you about that. Sports Business Radio headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry. The Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. The group bidding to buy the St. Louis Rams, led by St. Louis Blues and Real Salt Lake owner Dave Checkets, enhanced its status on Wednesday by severing ties with conservative talk radio personality Rush Limbaugh. We're going to talk about this in depth in our next segment, Caught in the Crosslights, our PR nightmare of the week. Our next headline, not very good news coming from Los Angeles and the Dodgers, yes, they are playing in the NLCS against the Phillies, but Frank McCourt and Jamie McCourt, his wife, the owners of the Dodgers, are in the middle of divorce proceedings. This according to FoxSports.com, the LA Times, and several other publications. Sources say the McCourts have been married since 1979. They're living in separate houses, and one source said the divorce will not be amicable. Now, interestingly enough, community property laws in California would give Jamie McCourt 50% of the couple's share of the Dodgers and any of her husband's other assets. Jamie is the CEO of the Dodgers, highest-ranking woman in Major League Baseball. Nathan, this is going to be interesting because Frank McCourt is saying, basically, I'm the owner of the Dodgers. Major League Baseball recognizes me as the owner of the Dodgers, the paperwork with Major League Baseball is my name, but then Jamie McCourt, who's the CEO and very involved in the Dodgers, she's saying, and her lawyer is saying, well, we're in California, so whatever's yours is also mine. So 50-50. It'll be interesting to see how this turns out. It's worth noting that uh, Padres majority owner John Morris and his wife Becky, they got divorced, also California state laws, earlier this year. And because neither one could afford to buy the other out, they had to sell the franchise, and thus the San Diego Padres were sold to someone else. So if one of the McCourts can't afford to buy the other one out, we could see the Dodgers put up for sale. Well, and that would be a disappointment because I think McCourt, he's a great owner, and he's respected within the league. We've talked to him on the show before. We've seen him do great things here in the league. I would guess that he's going to try and buy her out, and I don't think she cares, and I don't know her personally, but I would doubt that she cares about being a majority owner if he's willing to Actually, buy her out. No, he, she, she would want to be the majority owner, and there this is going to be very, very interesting. And sources tell the L.A. Times that if anyone's going to be able to afford to buy the other one out, it would be Jamie buying Frank out. And remember, when Frank McCourt bought the Dodgers, Frank McCourt made his money in real estate. But he leveraged a lot of money to buy the Dodgers. So, in other words, he went to the bank. He borrowed a ton of money. He didn't put a lot of his own cash up front to buy the Dodgers. So, this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Now, also, according to other sources, Dodgers Executive Vice President and CMO Charles Steinberg reportedly is going to head back to the Boston Red Sox. He left the Red Sox to come work for Frank McCord, who's from Boston, and the Dodgers. So, When this season is over, it's going to be very interesting to see what the ownership ranks and what the front office ranks of the Los Angeles Dodgers looks like and how ugly it gets and how much this plays out in the news media, but not a good situation. Our next headline, 
TBS had its most viewed week ever last week in its 33-year history. They averaged a 3.6 cable rating, 4.769 million viewers for its coverage of 13 Major League Baseball Division Series games. That's up 9% and 11% respectively over last year. So, Nathan, the series in the first round, none of them went the distance, I don't think, but they were all pretty compelling and big market teams, big stars. And, you know, as we talked at the beginning of the show, now with the final four matchup, Dodgers and Phillies, Yankees and Angels, big markets, big stars, and you know Fox is hoping, and Fox has the World Series, you know Fox is hoping for a Dodgers-Yankees matchup. Well, well, part of me is surprised about this because there really were no great series as far as a sports fan is concerned, but you have the Yankees, and the Yankees are on their game right now, and the Yankees have such a huge following across the country, including the Boston Red Sox, there's Yankee Nation and Red Sox Nation. So those are two teams right there that can ultimately carry those ratings. Well, here's something to pay attention to, sports fans. If you've noticed, if you listen to this show regularly, TV ratings are trending up. We're seeing historic TV ratings in the NFL. We're seeing big TV ratings for Major League Baseball playoffs. I bet you we're going to see big TV ratings for the NBA. Why? Because people can't afford to go to the games anymore. In a down economy, people can't afford to buy a ticket to go to the game. So what are they doing? They're coming home and watching on TV. TV ratings are going to go up. Attendance is going to go down. Maybe not for Major League Baseball playoff games, but for NBA regular season games, for NHL regular season games, even the NFL, some of their teams have not been selling out their games and games haven't been uh, blacked out in the local markets like we usually see. This is a trend to definitely watch. Our final headline of the week, sources say that groups interested in buying Major League Baseball Texas Rangers from Current owner Tom Hicks will meet with the team's management next week as they prepare their bids. Sources also said the goal is to have a winner identified by late November and a sale completed by year end. Uh, some people say that the expected value of the bids for the team will be $550 million. Compare this to the Cubs who came in in the high $800 million range and you can see kind of where the Rangers rank amongst team values, Nathan. Well, what's ironic is it doesn't really matter the range. We seem to see a lot of this right now. A lot of teams being sold. A lot of people trying to get some money back because, you know, most major league franchises are not a source of income. And these people, these wealthy people are trying to find out how to get some money back so they're having to ditch the team. Well, and coming up in segment four, Rick Buecher, ESPN's NBA insider, we're going to talk about what NBA teams might be for sale because of owners who are taking it in the short, so to speak, financially. <laughs> Coming up next, caught in the crosslights, Rush Limbaugh was in the headlines this week. We'll tell you about that. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Well, it's been quite a week for a conservative talk show host, Rush Limbaugh, and St. Louis Blues owner and Real Salt Lake owner, Dave Shackett's. Let's back up here and give you the, the full scope of this story. So the St. Louis Rams are quietly on the market. And there are several different ownership groups that have been put together to potentially purchase the Rams. Well, according to reports, in May or June, Dave Chackett's approached Rush Limbaugh, who is from the St. Louis area, has ties to St. Louis, and approached him about being a part of Dave Chackett's ownership group that could potentially buy the St. Louis Rams. And keep in mind, Rush Limbaugh, when he makes like $50 million a year, I mean, he makes a lot of money as a talk show host and has made a lot of money over the course of the last few decades. So he's got money to bring to the table if you needed to buy an NFL team. Supposedly, Rush Limbaugh says to Dave Chackett's, look, I'm a pretty controversial guy if you haven't noticed. Have you checked this out at the highest levels of the NFL to make sure that we're not just going down this road and we're going to get towards the the end of this thing and people are going to say, no, this isn't going to fly because Rush is involved. And Dave Chackett's assured Rush Limbaugh that, yes, we've vetted this at the highest levels and people are fine with you being a part of this ownership group. So in the last few weeks, word starts getting out that Rush Limbaugh and Dave Chackett's ownership group They're in the final two or three to buy the St. Louis Rams. Well, all of a sudden, you've got Demora Smith, the union leader for the NFL players. You've got Al Sharpton. You've even got Commissioner Goodell coming out and saying, you know what? I don't know if this is the greatest idea. And I'm paraphrasing because some of them had much harsher words than the words I'm using right here. I've got a few comments on this. Number one, if you're Dave Chackett's and you used to work for the New York Knicks and you've been in the sports industry for a long, long time, how in the world did you think this was going to fly? And how in the, I mean, I don't believe that he vetted this out at the highest levels because I think if he ran this by Commissioner Goodell, Commissioner Goodell would have said, no, sorry, not going to work. We don't need Rush Limbaugh in our league. And then my other comment, and then I'll let you guys weigh in, is Rush Limbaugh has made his living off of being a talk show host with very sharp opinions. And six years ago, when he worked for ESPN and then was relieved of his duties, he made some sharp racial opinions about Donovan McNabb, the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. People remember those opinions. If you're the NFL, you're a private league. So, you know, I heard some people this week use Augusta National. As a comparison, if you're Augusta National, it doesn't matter how much money you have or what you do. Augusta National can say, 
we're not admitting you because we don't like you. If you're the NFL, it's the same thing. If you're the NFL, you are a private company, and if you don't want to be associated with a particular person or personality or someone who's got this kind of controversy surrounding them, you have the ability to say that. And essentially, that's what happened this week. I want to read you the statement from Dave Chackett's And on Wednesday, Dave Chackett's removed Rush Limbaugh from the group. And he said, and I quote, Rush was to be a limited partner. However, it has become clear that his involvement in our group has become a complication and a distraction to our intentions, endangering our bid to keep the team in St. Louis. As such, we have decided to move forward without him. Now, Rush Limbaugh essentially said, you're going to have to fire me or remove me from this group because I'm not going down Unless you do that. Well, that's what happened. Rush Limbaugh is not part of this group. And now Dave Checkett's in his group has a fighter's chance to get the Rams. But but if Rush Limbaugh was part of the group, he would have had no chance. Well, I don't know that I'd even say he's got a fighter's chance at this point. Because now he's got a black eye of having even gone to Rush Limbaugh to ask him to be a part of this group. And I think there's still going to be some controversy surrounding this group to buy the Rams. And, uh, I mean, it was a good move to get rid of him when he did. But he should have got rid of him sooner. Well, one of the things that Chekets did this week after he released Rush Limbaugh is he went out and talked to some other minority investors who he knows the league likes. And one of those people is former St. Louis Rams running back Marshall Falk, who's got a great standing within the league. He's well-respected. He's actually a commentator on the NFL Network, so he'd probably have to quit that job if he became a minority investor. But... I think Chekets is doing some quick damage control to try and get someone in there who the NFL likes and who uh, the players' union likes. So their bid is stronger because I think Chekets knows, wow, we screwed up here. I don't think Chekets envisioned that he was going to get this kind of a backlash from having Rush Limbaugh involved in his group. Bobby? Chekets came to Rush for one reason and one reason only. He has money. Aside from all political aspects, everything aside, he went to him because he has money and he has a lot of it. He's from the St. Louis area. It makes sense as an investor to have a local guy there. Well, look, this has been a ratings bonanza for Rush Limbaugh this week. I mean, you know, what a publicity stunt for him. Who had the better week publicity stunt-wise, Rush Limbaugh or the balloon boy? And his family. I mean, this is this is really what we're talking balloon about here. Balloon Boy. Well, yeah, Balloon Boy. Was it a Seinfeld episode? <laughs> hey, you, you know what? Two hours of live breaking coverage on every major network. And I, as Nathan and I were talking off air, the Weather Channel was even covering Balloon Boy. Well, and look, I'm happy that Balloon Boy is safe, but Balloon Boy's family was on Wife Swap. And I mean, we're getting off topic here, but Rush Limbaugh has made a living out of being a polarizing individual that. People who have opinions want to express them negatively or positively around what Rush talks about. That's why he makes $50 million a year. So for his purposes, I didn't expect that Rush Limbaugh was going to go down without a fight. And, you know, on his show this week, he talked about this a lot. It was a very polarizing topic. But, again, I'll go back to my main point. The NFL doesn't need to associate themselves with Rush Limbaugh and the controversy that he brings with him. They've basically said Rush Limbaugh is not welcome in our league. Let me play the devil's advocate for just a second here. Rush Limbaugh has a platform to give the NFL more exposure. They don't need need more exposure. Not that they need more exposure. 
But, I mean, you look at what guys like Mark Cuban have done for the NBA in terms of bringing a little bit of controversy and a little bit of water cooler discussion. And I'm just saying it's Cuban's one of, not a listen, racist, though. Okay, hold on. I, and believe me, I don't want to defend Rush Limbaugh, but I am to some extent saying, listen, don't we say in the PR business, you know, any a, any publicity is good publicity? I don't say that. A lot of people say that. I don't say that. I must be a terrible PR person. Well, though. I don't think that's the truth. And this is case in point. And the NFL is the last league on the planet that needs additional PR exposure even if it's Rush Limbaugh, and I know he gets a considerable amount of PR He has a exposure. big following, though. He does have a big following, but the NFL doesn't need Rush Limbaugh. They're that big. Now, if you were talking about the UFL or the NHL or maybe even Major League Baseball, okay, maybe they could use the additional exposure. The NFL, they don't need it, and they don't need him. And Limbaugh specifically made racial comments about an NFL player. That's why this hits so close to home. You know, and I—, I I'm not going to defend Rush at all, but at what point, and you and I, and we all know this, most of the people that own professional sports franchises have a lot of money. That's how they get into it. But they also are a public figure. At what point do we say, listen, if you want to own a team, you literally, you can't say anything. Here's the money. We're giving it to you up front. Here's your team. This is what I own. And But at what point can we stop saying, hey, whatever they say, it doesn't matter. Well, okay. Here's my answer to that. Most owners of pro sports franchises are Republican, and most of them have sharp opinions. But guess what? They keep those opinions to themselves. Not when they're a talk show host. Well, you're exactly right. So there's the difference. This is a guy who's made his living and made a lot of money off of expressing sharp opinions. He's different than your common owner, Bobby, who doesn't have— doesn't express their sharp opinions in a public forum. They don't, but they express it with money in form of donations. Well, I, I think this is different. I think that's a different road. And I think Rush Limbaugh burned bridges with his comments on ESPN a few years ago. I think he's made some sharp comments on his show. And the NFL has basically said, you know what? We don't have a place for you in our league. And I don't think you can look for Rush Limbaugh in the NFL or, frankly, in any other sports league anytime in the near future. All right, coming up next, Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. The NBA season is coming up quickly, and we're going to talk about the moves that were made this offseason, and which teams are in the most financial trouble. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. 
My guest is an old friend of the show, Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Rick Buecher. With the NBA season coming up quickly, we thought we'd have Rick on to talk about some of the big storylines coming up. Rick, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. We're, uh, we got the season just around the corner, so it's that time of year when you and I start to talk again about all things the NBA. Yes, sir. So, Rick, lots happened this offseason, but give me your two to three biggest storylines heading into this NBA season. Number one, I'd have to say, is the fact that the two teams that went to the finals last year uh, both changed up uh, what they were doing. And, um, you know, to, to, to spin it into sports business radio, there were financial decisions that impacted how the the top two teams went went about their business, and uh, the fact that uh, both Orlando and the Lakers made changes and made it with an eye on the bottom line after going to the finals is is a bit revolutionary. And then you look around the league, and every team sees an opportunity and picked up a player. But it's going to be interesting to see whether any of those changes, including with Orlando and the Lakers, actually made their teams better. Uh, in, in each case, there's a player uh, of fragility that uh, was picked up, and the question is uh, not who has the most talent, but who's going to have the most talent at the finish line and how they go about doing that. Yeah, so you're talking about Vince Carter to Orlando, and you're talking about Ron Artest from Houston to the Lakers. We also see uh, Shaquille O'Neal goes to the Cavs, and yep. Hito Turkoglu goes to the Raptors. I yep. think, for my money, the best offseason acquisition that I think may not have the biggest impact at the box office but will have the biggest impact on the floor is Richard Jefferson from the Bucks to the San Antonio Spurs. It's going to be interesting because certainly his – Certainly, they got him for nothing. Uh, he adds to their athleticism. The, the Spurs made a little bit of a sea change, whereas previously they kept looking for a shot-blocking center and a defensive uh, stopper on the perimeter to take the pres- pressure off of Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan. They've really changed their, their template this time, and they went out and they tried to get guys who could replace them for extended minutes. The problem is, is that, okay, so you have a starting five and you have a great defensive center next to Tim and you have a defensive stopper next to Manu. You still needed those guys on the floor to score. And when they weren't, San Antonio was immediately going into a hole, putting even more pressure on those guys to score when they got got on the floor. Now you're going to have the Spurs looking to uh, maintain or extend their lead when Duncan and Ginobili aren't on the floor, and ideally playing them considerably less during the regular season in hope that they're going to be in one piece at the end. Now, the one element about Richard Jefferson is he's kind of a boisterous, yappy, sociable-type guy. I was at one of their exhibition games, and you could hear him coming across the locker room, and it was like a sound that I had not heard in a San Antonio locker room ever, or certainly in a long, long time. The question is going to be, can Jefferson, from a cultural standpoint, fit into that team? You see, you know, they're, they're a quiet, go-about-their-business, pound-the-rock type team. And Richard's certainly not a 
a malcontent or, you know, a, a, a wild and crazy guy. He's not, you know, he's not in anywhere near, you know, Dennis Rodman's league. But, but he is a different kind of cat, and he's a different kind of cat than they've had in that locker room. And that's going to be interesting to see how that meshes. Rick, one of the other big storylines is that the NBA is going to be using replacement referees for the first time since 1995. I had Let's Lamel- hope not. Well, I had Lamel McMorris on a few week- few weekends ago, and you know I know they were really close to getting something done recently, but do you think that we're going to start the season with replacement referees? And if we do, how big of a story is that, or do you think it's something that uh, people really won't notice? Well, quite honestly, I was going to put that as my number two story, and the only reason I don't put it as number one is because I'm still holding out hope that they will get something done before the regular season starts. Uh, I was on the road and watched four uh, exhibition games in five nights, and uh, there's just – it would be a, a black eye on the league. I, I understand that they have fiscal concerns. I understand that this is a negotiation – you can't possibly start the season with the replacement referees. Uh, they are just so far removed from being ready, and, and nor should they be. That's no fault of theirs. But they're not, they are not legitimate professional referees. And so you are going to have games and outcomes that are going to be impacted by miscarriages of justice. And I know people love to bang on the referees, and they're not very good, and they're not this. Uh, most of those people have no idea what they're talking about. Um, but if you want true miscarriages of justice, uh, you're, you're getting them now, and you would get them in the regular season. And as competitive as this season is anticipated to be, you know, a couple losses early on, uh, even if it's the, for the first couple of weeks, uh, could have a huge huge impact on uh, on the ultimate result. And I just I don't see how, if the league wants to protect its integrity, that it can allow that to happen. We're joined by Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. Read him online at ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at at Rick Buecher. Rick, it's no secret we're in a down economy. We've had this conversation before, but now that we're entering the 2009-2010 season, which teams are in the worst shape financially start with your Memphis Grizzlies uh, without a doubt because they've uh, they took all their money up front on on all of their business deals um, the, whatever the attendance numbers are I'm told that they're only drawing 200 to three hundred thousand dollars a night uh, for for their regular season games and it may even be worse this year in this economy and compare that to the Lakers um, where they're they're drawing a million and a half, two million a night off of their games. <clears throat> um, I mean, start start right there. Milwaukee uh, is in very bad shape. Uh, New Orleans is not in great shape. Charlotte is not in good shape, and uh, and Sacramento uh, is uh, is in a bad way. And um, I I would be totally shocked if we don't see. One of those two, uh, one of those teams, uh, starting with Sacramento and Memphis, in a uh, another location uh, a year from now. And uh, the the big problem with Memphis is is that they're just they're, they they have this they're tied up in this uh, arena deal that doesn't allow them out for a long time. But 
um, sort of Heisley selling the team to somebody who has money. I just I don't see how it's going to work in that market. Well, a few comments there. Number one, Memphis, now we know why they signed Allen Iverson. They were so desperate to sell tickets <laughs> and get that gate that you yep. just mentioned up. They'd yep. even take a chance on someone like Allen Iverson. And then the yep. New Orleans Hornets. This really surprised me when I was doing research for this interview. Correct me if I'm wrong. They have the highest payroll in the NBA. It's not the Knicks. It's not the Lakers. It's not the Celtics. It's not the Cavaliers. The New Orleans Hornets have the highest payroll in the NBA this season. And you look at their attendance and the problems with the economy in New Orleans, something's got to give, right? I would have to I, – I, I have to go back and look at that because I was convinced that the Lakers had the highest payroll. But certainly New Orleans is, is up there and the market doesn't justify it. And that's why you see, uh, you know, uh, their, their GM is in the worst position possible because he's being he, – he's stuck between Chris Paul uh, and, and George Shin. Chris Paul wants to play for a championship team and he sees them taking all these cost-cutting measures letting Rasul Butler, uh, Butler basically walk for nothing. He was their starting two guard. And, uh, and in the meantime, George Shin is saying, uh, I want you to get more out of the young guys, and you've got to find a way to get me under the cap by the end of the year. Those are, that's, a, that's a conflicting position, and yet that's exactly where they are. And look, even before Hurricane Katrina, that demographic couldn't support an NBA team. Now, after Hurricane Katrina, no shot. And then you throw the, uh, the economic downturn on top of it, uh, they're in a bad, bad way. I'll tell you another team that's, uh, that's not in the greatest of position, uh, the Utah Jazz. Um, I think they have the eighth smallest market, and they have a top five payroll. Those are numbers that don't work. And while they should be able to move somebody, uh, a Carlos Boozer uh, or maybe an Andre Kirilenko, uh, maybe a Kyle Korver. Uh, they, they, um, that's only going to, to ease the problem. And, and the other part is, in this again, in this economy, it's not easy finding teams that are willing to take on such large contracts. So we see the New Jersey Nets. It looks like they're going to be sold, or at least controlling interest is yep. going to be sold to Russian billionaire Mikhail Prokhorov. Now, yep. you mentioned we may see another team sold or at least relocated. I know Kansas City is on the radar. Seattle may be on the radar. What are some cities that these teams would move to if they're going to move? Uh, Anaheim remains, or Orange County remains a, uh, a great spot because they have an arena there, and, uh, and, and there is money there. Um, the, uh, the one other we didn't mention is it's what's going on with the Golden State Warriors, and I've been told that there is a tremendous amount of interest um, from – one of the co-founders of, uh, of Facebook to uh, Larry Ellison with Oracle. Right. Uh, the, the problem is, is that, um, uh, and, and this it surprised me when I heard about all the interest, because I was thinking in this market it was going to be that, that that would have dried up. But there are people interested. The problem is, is that the current co- owner, Chris Cohan, that is his, his primary business now. And he bought the team with the idea that it was going to they, they were going to be like the Roonies and that this was going to be a family heirloom. And so if he's going to get out, then he is going to want a he's going to want to make a killing. He's going to he's going to want to walk off. Which won't happen in this economy. His, exactly. And that's difficult in this economy as well.
So, Rick, we've got a few more minutes. Uh, I know we're going to hear this story ad nauseum this year. I'm not looking forward to it at all. But LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris <laughs> Bosh, Dirk, Amari, a lot of yeah. big free agents next summer. I yeah. I'm going to go on record. I've done it many times, but I'll go on record with you. I don't see any way that LeBron or Dwayne Wade leave Cleveland or Miami, and I can give you 30 million reasons why. But um, what are your thoughts on that storyline and how it may play out this season and if it may affect their teams? I think it's pretty funny because the closer we get to it, the more of a non-story that's going to be. It uh, It had its heyday. Uh, when those guys all signed shorter deals than they could have the last time around. But as we get closer to it, the reality is uh, the places that they could go to aren't any more attractive. And if there's anything that's been demonstrated is that you don't have to be in New York or L.A. to be a global icon uh, from an endorsement standpoint, from a marketing standpoint. certainly doesn't hurt, but it's not a prerequisite. And uh, LeBron has demonstrated that. I mean, anybody who still has the idea that he has to be in New York, well, what, what, what has he done to this point? I mean, going to New York, how is that going to make him significantly bigger from an endorsement standpoint than he already is? It seems, I, I can't think of a single thing that LeBron James wants to do off the court that he's been unable to do as a Cleveland Cavalier. So the only guy that I can see if I had to put my money on it, the guy that I would see changing is Amari Stoudemire, and that has nothing to do with endorsements or bigger market, simply that he wants to be a star, and Phoenix is not so enamored with him that they're going to break the bank to keep him. But that's, that has a lot less to do with, with the origin of this story, which was that we had superstars in smaller markets looking to go to bigger ones I just, at the end of the day, I don't see that panning out. All right, it's prediction time. I know we make our annual (laughs) predictions. I'm going to ask you for a few predictions. Eastern Conference champion. Eastern Conference champion, I'm going to go with the Boston Celtics. We agree there. Uh, Western Conference champion. I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Lakers. We disagree there. I think the Spurs have one more run in them, and I'm going to take the Spurs to win it all. Are you taking the Lakers to win it all? Uh, At this stage, I am. But that, again, you know, we talked about at the very beginning, health is going to be a uh, a big... uh, Mental health for Ron Artest. What's that? Mental health for Ron Artest, right? Mental health for Ron Artest. But quite honestly, to me, the, the, the most important piece is Andrew Bynum. If he's healthy and he can play all year long, then whatever they get out of Ron Artest is a bonus. If Bynum is not there, then Ron Artest suddenly becomes a much more vital piece, and I don't trust Ron to be there uh, every day, all day, when they need him. Uh, And so if if that's the case, if Bynum uh, falls to the wayside, then then I'd probably throw it back to the Celtics winning another championship. MVP. Well, I'm going to stick with what I said uh, in our preview issue. I'm going to pick Derrick Rose, even though this has not been a good preseason for him. Wow, that's totally out of left field. I'm going with LeBron, which I know is a safe pick, but Derrick Rose, that's really going out there on a limb. Uh, I'm impressed with that selection. I'm I'm a believer in him, um, and I just believe that 
people are going to look at that Chicago team. I, I think he's going to pick up right where he left off in the playoffs. And there's going to be a little of that, as there always is with the voters. Uh, we like the new blood. You know, LeBron James could probably deserve it. Kobe Bryant could probably deserve it. Um, but uh, when you have a new flavor, that sometimes catches fire. And I think Derrick Rose has that potential to really stand out. People are going to look at that team and go, man, we can't believe that they're a, a fourth or fifth seed. There's only one reason for that, and that's Derrick Rose. Rookie of the year. I don't see how Blake, Blake Griffin doesn't win it. Um, I, but I, I, depending on how the Clippers go, I believe James Harden and Steph, uh, Stephen Curry are going to be in the conversation. I'm going to take Johnny Flynn. I think Blake Griffin's That's not a bad a, call either. Yeah, I think Blake Griffin's a great player, but I think the the Clippers have screwed up many a great college player, <laughs> and I don't know, you know, where he's going to fit into the rotation and how much playing time they're going to give him. And I think yep. Johnny Flynn's going to get minutes. I think it's a, I think it's a, that's a very smart call, and in one of the multitude of places that asked me that question, I'm sure I had Johnny Flynn as my answer in one of them. The other thing I will say is uh, to our national audience, we're based here in Portland. Greg Oden is looking very, very good this preseason. He looks like the player that the Blazers had hoped they drafted in 2007. Mm. And uh, watch out for him because I think he's going to have a big year. Big question with Portland is going to be the whole Andre Miller saga and whether they actually made themselves better and what their finishing lineup is going to be and if it's going to be any different than it was last year since people expect them to take a step up. I would agree, and Brandon Roy has actually not had a very good preseason with Andre Miller as opposed to uh, how he did with Steve Blake. Uh, Rick, always great to catch up with you. You can read Rick Buecher online, ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at at Rick Buecher. Rick, thanks a lot. My pleasure. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. 66 of the 400 richest Americans have a stake in pro sports ownership. This according to Forbes' latest listing and research done by the Sports Business Daily. This year, entry to the Forbes list was set at a minimum of $950 million. That's down from $1.3 billion for the previous two years. Of the 66, at the top of the list is Warren Buffett, who is an investor in minor league AAA Omaha Royals of the Pacific Coast League. You'd think he'd own something a little bit bigger than that. Larry Ellison, who is the Oracle CEO, he's second on the list. 
Paul Allen, who owns the Portland Trailblazers, the Seattle Seahawks, and the MLS's Seattle Sounders. He's third on the list. Phil Knight, Nike chair, fourth on the list. And fifth on the list is Phil Anschutz. He's the AEG chair. He owns the LA Galaxy of the MLS. He has a stake in the LA Kings and the LA Lakers. Nathan, anything surprising to you from that list? Yeah, Bill Gates is not in those top five. Bill Gates. Well, he's number one on the list, but he doesn't own. He doesn't a own a sports team. team. And yeah, because he's doing charitable work. He's doing something good for the world. That's right. And usually, doing something good may not entail owning a sports franchise. So it'll be interesting to see uh, who moves up on that list. Rupert Murdoch, who is the News Corp chair, is sixth on the list. And then uh, Mickey Arison, Carnival Cruise Lines, he's eighth on the list. He owns the Miami Heat. Uh, boy, I was looking at Warren Buffett. He went from $52 billion in 2007. He's down to $40 billion in 2009. How's he going to feed his family? I don't know. Billion? You might have to take a collection no up idea. for him pretty soon. $12 billion, though. That's that's a lot of money. Although he's not giving any money to his grandkids. So, uh, you know, they got to work on their own. All right. Lots of thank yous on the show this week. Rick Buecher from ESPN. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com and clicking on the podcast page. We're on iTunes. We're in the top 100 in the business news section of iTunes. If you want to check us out there, subscribe to our podcast. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at SB Radio. I'm Brian Berger. For Nathan Roach and Bobby Corser, have a great week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses, happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference.